Well, yes. I just want to say thanks for cleaning gear for us, Chad. That was the man. That's nice. Well, I love my team. Yeah, man. Y'all can count on me for two things: to clean the gear up and to get coffee. Um, yes. Don't do GHD sit-ups. You will get hemorrhoids. Okay. Well, if you're weak, you don't do them. You can do them. It's just your mind that limits you because you don't want to suffer from hemorrhoids. I don't know how anybody could do GHG sit-ups and not get hemorrhoids. Some exercises are just bad movements. Push-ups, sit-ups. Squats. Running. No, no, no. (laughs) Have have y'all ever had a hemorrhoid? No. I hadn't. They're miserable. Krista ain't going to answer you. <laughs> some dumb question like that. She What'd scoffed at you. I, I, was t- I mean, listeners, have you ever had a hemorrhoid? What'd you do, strain too hard? Yeah, I, I, guess, that's, I guess that's what happened. But like it's, a, it's miserable. Kind of like a hernia. He no. got it from the ride out to Utah, and he doesn't like doing GHD sit-ups, so he blamed it on that, and he thought, you know, it would sound better that I strained myself than I sat too long, so I'm just going to say I strained. You got it from the ride? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was awful. Um, but did y'all know George Washington had hemorrhoids so bad during the French and Indian War that uh, he could barely ride his horse? He had hemorrhoids so bad. She's an urban legend. Because he had, um, I don't know if he had malaria or one of those diseases, uh, viruses or whatever back then, but he was crapping so much. That it gave him terrible hemorrhoids and he could barely ride his horse. From straining or sitting yeah, down? Yeah, from straining. From oh. squatting and straining. Man. Yeah. Hmm. Don't ever get them. <clears throat> welcome to the 3 of 7 podcast. Everybody, <laughs> welcome back to the 3 of 7 pro- pro- Project <laughs> Podcast. Um, this episode's brought to you by... What's it brought to you by? <laughs> Oh, this episode will be brought to you by the basic course because we're going to talk about a lesson that we learned with the most recent team, Team 21, on the basic course. You ask, what is the basic course? Well, that's a great question. It is where we take you out into the wilderness. All right? It's an eight-person team. Uh, We get to teach you a lot of hard skills out in that environment, but more importantly... We get to teach you how to lead, be led, how to form a team, how to communicate, um, how to execute complex tasks. Uh, We get to teach you a lot of stuff that is much more valuable in real life than the hard skills that you learn in the woods, right? So a lot happens out there. Um, We've ran it. We've ran 21 teams, 21 eight-person teams through the basic course. It is a proven training pipeline. It works, and uh, I would put it up against any training out there in the world. I would run a SEAL platoon through the basic course, and they would benefit from it. So at whatever level you are in terms of leadership, it will, or no a teamwork, all that stuff, no matter what level you think you are, Guarantee you, you're going to learn something new out there. Uh, you have to apply for the basic course. You can do that on 307project.com. Um, and the other, I guess the the sister course to the basic course would be called the Proving Grounds. They are both independent 
training courses. All right. So you don't have to do one to go out and do the other. Uh, I would say they're totally different. Um, the proving grounds, you learn a lot of the same stuff, but through a, you, through a different, it's, it's just a different environment. It's more people. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say which one's better because they're just so much different. Yeah, they're too different. If I had to say the basic course, if I had to talk about what what makes them different, the basic course, I think, is more, I would say, individual growth and development. The Proving Grounds is more heavy on team, leadership, uh, communication, those things like that. Mm-hmm. I agree. They they have both. They have the elements of both. You see, it's not just one or the other, but it biases. One biases team, one biases individual, I think. Yep. That's a good distinction. Yeah. Yep. So, the Proving Grounds is also application only now. You can put in your application on 307project.com, and uh, the selection process for the Proving Ground, Troop 5, will it be, or 6? Five. Five. I think it'll be Troop Five. Five. That'll be in January 2023. Uh, selection for that will be ongoing as you guys apply, and we review your application if you are a qualified team member, somebody that we uh, are looking forward to training and not a turd. Um, we'll reach out to you and let you know you've been selected, and it'll be ongoing until all 25 positions are filled up so if you don't hear back from us just know you're a turd <laughs> y'all uh, y'all yeah do better do better and apply again later um hey if y'all everybody asked uh where they can get uh instruction from coach chili over here at the proving grounds Coach Chili? Yeah. Is he coach now? Yeah. What are you hey, talking he about? He just got... Hey. The Padawan just got a new uh, insignia on what? his uniform. What Everybody... Are you, what no, are you talking I mean, about? People ask me all the time, where's where's Coach Chili at? Instructor Chili. And... Um, oh, where's he at? Yeah. Because me, Kristen, and Blake, we run the basic course. Yeah. And, and the students are like, man, where's Instructor Chili? If oh. you want to, if you want to get hammered down by Instructor Chili, come on out to the proving grounds. <laughs> He'll give you a little something to chew on. I might be there. I might not. <laughs> Dang, son. Yeah. All right. Well, I wouldn't count on it. So, the core of what pays the bills here at Three Seven Project is training. We we are we we are a training company. We provide training for you guys, um, and I think. For me personally, that is my passion in life personally is to train uh, and pour into people and probably the biggest value that I get, the biggest reward that I get in the spectrum of 307 Project is when we train and we see groups of people who show up as dazed and confused individuals and we see the metamorphosis of them into becoming part of this single organism that becomes the team and they become a legitimate part of a legitimate um fighting force like an effective force that can move through whatever comes 
gets placed in their path and they can overcome it as a unit. What do they say? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with your team, right? And so that's what I love seeing is that team come together and them have the ability to go as far as they need to go in order to accomplish any mission. And so, yeah, we'd appreciate uh, seeing you, training with you sometime. We love it. All right, let's talk about what we uh, learned or what we saw on the most recent basic course mission, Team 21. I'll explain how I saw it. I think Krista has a, a little um, different perspective on it, or at least she explains it differently. So what I saw and what I see out of most people is they think that it's good enough to just do something hard. They think that's good enough. Um, and instead of taking the opportunity when they have it, at a training event like the basic course or at a race or or whatever the challenge may be, instead of seizing the opportunity and seeing it as a chance to find your limit and then achieve your maximum potential, um, they just say, well, it's good enough that I'm out here and it's good enough if I just make it through this. Good enough. If I, I can say I did something hard, because it's going to be hard either way if you come train with us. But it's a mindset shift, man. It's a mindset shift from being satisfied with simply going through the motions and getting through it to saying, okay, I have now this is the grand opportunity to truly find my individual limit and also my team's limit and then back just a hair off of that and operate at our maximum potential as a team all right so i and the thing about it is what's interesting in training i can't force anyone to do that this has to be a decision for you you have to show up to training. You have to show up on race day. You have to show up to the challenge with the mindset of, okay, we are going to find our limit as quickly as possible. That's the goal. And then we're going to back just a hair off of that. And we're going to operate for the duration of this mission at our maximum potential. It's a mindset shift. Yeah. What is, how, how would you describe it, Krista? <clears throat> Yeah, very, I see the same things very similarly. Uh, I think I honed in on a specific word and mentioned this to the students. So it seemed like it took them a long time to kind of get it together and to get into another gear. Um, and as I observed them, I thought I sort of pinpointed perhaps a factor that was holding them back. And my perception was, they were focusing on not failing. And so their, their goal, the thing they were aiming at, was just not failing. And if they were not failing, it was almost a sense of accomplishment mm. and a place where they allowed themselves to settle. 
and and that but in that that creates complacency and so what I had talked to them about was not failing is not an adequate goal yep that's a that's an insufficient goal that's not your end point and you need to have a different focus you can't go into it thinking as long as I'm not failing I you know um haven't you know made this mistake or you know somebody people aren't mad at me or I'm not holding anybody back so in that in that I feel a sense of accomplishment because I haven't failed I haven't failed anybody I haven't failed myself I haven't failed the instructors yep and my challenge to them was think bigger your vision is weak your vision is weak and you can't go farther you can't achieve excellence you can't get better you can't hit that limit unless you risk failure and so to me fail the fear of failure specifically and then feeling like they weren't failing was holding them back and so my charge to them was to have a bigger vision than that because that was weak and Mm so i think it's very similar to what you're talking about Mm -hmm. but just a different angle on it yeah totally do but would I have to say, because we get to spend so much time with such a broad group of people in the the training that we put on, that is the majority of people's mindset mm-hmm. when they when they launch off on into anything that they know is going to be challenging, they are simply satisfied with the fact that they are embarking on something that's challenging. They go into survival mode. They say, "I just mm-hmm. want to survive through mm-hmm. this thing." Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and if you survive, you you didn't fail. Mm-hmm. You didn't get harmed. You didn't fail. So that's some sort of idea of survival. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that is the typical mindset. If you're listening to this right now, I want you to ask yourself if is that your mindset uh, as you are moving through whatever aspect of your life right now, or moving into whatever aspect of your life that is going to challenge you. Is that your mindset? I'm just going to get through this, and if I get through this, that will be satisfactory. That will be a win, right? Um, And if it is, then essentially you are cheating yourself out of a grand opportunity. That's what you're doing. That mindset is cheating you out of a grand opportunity. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about... um, finding your limit as an individual and then finding the limit as the team and why it's important to find the limit. Do you guys believe you need to find that limit in order to know what your maximum potential is? And because the reason I asked this question is because I asked, I I actually asked the team, uh, is this your, are you operating at your maximum potential? And they couldn't answer the question. Do y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. Because they didn't know what their maximum potential was because they had not found what their limit was. Right? So what does it look like to find your to find your limit? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to find that in order to have a vision or a goal that is more than just not failing. Because if not, like somebody might actually be giving their max effort and to you that doesn't look like 
that they are just focusing on not failing. But if they are, and they're, if you've reached your limit, then you are focusing on not failing. Like if you're operating as hard as you can physically, then all you can focus on is, is not failing. But by doing that, you're actually getting the maximum out of it, right? You see what I'm saying there? Like you have to find that. I think it's important to find that. And as far as ways you find it, I think you just push until you hit that point and you think, well, I might have sent her a little too hard right there. Yeah. Let me let me dial it back just a little bit to where it's sustainable, to, to whatever level is sustainable for the duration of whatever you're operating mm-hmm. in. Yeah, so when when you have a team or an individual and you guys, when you have embarked on the the journey and your goal is to find your limit when you when you start bumping up against that limit it's going to be visible mm-hmm. it, it should be obvious you're going to feel uncomfortable that's right it should be obvious you should be able to look around at your team members and see uh, which which of them are bumping up against their limit right and you yourself you should feel if you're the one that's bumping against your limit it's going to be uncomfortable and that's why nobody, I think that's why nobody wants to push to find the limit is because of the discomfort that you must experience to be able to determine what that is. No, yeah. th- the flesh doesn't want to be uncomfortable. I want you to understand something about your flesh. Your body's only job uh, biologically is to maintain homeostasis. When you are bumping against your limit, you're getting outside the boundaries of homeostasis. Something is being stretched beyond where where it should normally or where it wants to be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why people are hesitant to reach for that, right? And then again, why is it important to reach for that? Because only then can you understand what your maximum potential is. I can't drive that home enough. you got to endure that discomfort just for a short period of time because as soon as you hit it, like Blake said, you say, oh, wow, okay, I can't keep doing this for, for very much longer. And that's when you pull back, right? I mean, I individually saw it and I thought about the same thing and what you talked about on the basic course in today's PT because once we had, had started mm-hmm. competing and, and we had pulled ahead a little bit and I thought, well, we're winning. And so but we'll just sustain this. And then Chad's like, no, let's lap them. Let's lap them. Push harder. And so really even just winning, even just shooting for winning is not enough. Mm-hmm. Like you got to shoot, you could either say to just totally obliterate or crush mm-hmm. the goal or the competition or you hit your limit. Like you should have those two variables. Either you hit your limit and you're like, well, this is this is just it. I can just operate at this pace. Or you'll find your limit if you decide you're going to just totally crush your competition or your goal. You'll find it. Mm-hmm. And so you got to have that in mind. Then that you find your limit and you dial it back and then you operate at that pace to where you can hold that standard of whatever it is you're doing for the rest of the it's mission. It's funny you say that because when you guys, you guys toward the end got about 200 meters ahead of us, you're like two stations ahead of us. And I remember thinking, I hope he get, I hope you get in that mindset because I thought they could start slowing down their pace because mm-hmm. you're feeling like, oh, we're, we're secure because 
they're not going to catch us, you know, for yeah. 200 meters ahead. And I was in a, in a defensive mode feeling like, I hope he gets that mindset. <laughs> yeah. So it's good that Chad snapped you out of that because, yeah. you know, you didn't lap us, but you went farther than, or you got closer yeah. probably than you would have. Yeah. Just because of that one little thing, that one little shift. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a huge reason that we mm -hmm. do team PT. A lot of people ask about why do we do team PT? Like team PT doesn't make any money. It doesn't, it, it's, but it's what we do with half the day that we spend together. And the reason that we do it is because it gives us an opportunity to actually practice what we preach. It gives us an opportunity to actually implement the things that we teach you, right? And, you know, one of my biggest biggest pet peeves as an instructor is I never want to give any advice or any uh, uh, technique that I just heard from someone else that I just that 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 basically from theory I haven't proven it in my own team I haven't proven it in my own team now we talked about uh, finding the the maximum potential of a team all right now there's an art to that that's it's it's a little easier to do it as an individual finding the max potential of a team i told chili this this morning he didn't understand this because he wasn't he he hasn't been out on these basic course missions with us i said chili Get behind Krista. Let her run in front. Yeah, She'll actually, run actually, that was incorrect. Uh, you have no experience running on a track. I was doing that intentionally to pull her along beside her. If you actually want to make somebody run faster on a track, you run beside them. But that's besides the point. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That does not work. You're totally wrong, but that's okay. So, <laughs> if you have a if you have a team member that runs slightly ahead and to the side. No, that's If you want to pay somebody to their fastest lap, it absolutely. Well, you will run faster trying to chase somebody than you will being pushed from behind. Trust me. I will say who won the eight hundred race. Um <laughs> choke on that. <laughs> no, that's incorrect. Uh no, it isn't. So what happens is if you have a if you have a team member, so we're now we're talking about exploring the maximum potential mm -hmm. of your team. What generally happens is there are gonna be a few team members that are gonna hit their limit before other team members. Obviously, we have strong, stronger and weaker people that make up a team. So what usually happens is the person that hits their limit first, when they hit that limit, the entire team just decides to slow down to accommodate that one person and the speed that they can move at. Right? Right. You're, yeah. you're confusing the two. Like if in if you're moving in almost like a formation, basically like a hike, or even if you're jogging, you would move the slowest person to the front in that case because it's going to be the most efficient. We were trying to cover 400 meters as fast as we could, so the best way to drag somebody along in that way is to actually like be in front of them so they have something to shoot for. Well, that sounds like it would work, but it doesn't really work. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... it's sounds, to, it sounds like it would work, but it doesn't really work. It works when you're pacing somebody on a track. That's why I did that. You're correct in what in the what you're talking about. We saw it at the Proving Ground. 
for some people it might work. It, I think it's like, and it depends on where that person's at. But if if like, no, if you're never, already it, it won't work for anybody. If you're already worn out, and then someone gets like, if if I'm just beat and somebody gets in front of me, then I'm like, dude, I'm already behind. I'm hurting, and and here I am at the back. But if I'm in front, I will always move faster personally. But I think we're getting snagged on a branch right now. No, I'm just I'm trying to prove my point here. From from hundreds of repetitions of experience, if you have a team member that's that's hit their limit and they're slowing the team down, instead of slowing the entire team down to accommodate that person's limit, the the very first thing that you can do is to put that person out in front. All right? Now there's a few reasons for that mentally mentally if that person is out front and they know some they know their team is on their heels and they're depending on this them pushing their own pace they are going to move faster second reason for putting that person out front you can encourage that person better if you are right behind them than you can if they are behind you you can encourage that person much better because you can watch them. You can see their body language. You can see when they put their head down. You can see, you, you watch everything about them and you can identify the moments that they need that encouragement better or more, right? And where that's going to hit them the best. Um, so I put Blake out front today because he's the weak, he was, he's the weak link. <laughs> and... I truly believe Blake ran faster today because I put him in front and I was able to be behind him and talk to him and watch him and correct his form and say, relax, pick your head up, move faster. I, I saw, I could see all that. Yeah. And I guarantee you that made him run faster. Yeah. It'll always make me run faster if I'm up front. Yep. Sorry, Chili. For me. Don't need to apologize to me. You. It also might depend on the person, like knowing your teammate and knowing what Th they This need. is stupid. Chad's <laughs> absolutely correct in the context that he's talking about it. I did that because that's how you pace somebody to their fastest lap on a track. Have you ever watched a track race? Well, y'all you know, were supposed to be moving as a team. You know the pacers, they move, they, they run in the back. Did you know that? The pacers run, they, they stay last. That's how it works on the track. I mean, I, I'm just talking about this specific Way to move fast on the track. Yeah, they stay at the back, so the runner will move faster. Yeah, that ain't what they do, Blake. <laughs> Dummy. The rapids <laughs> run out in front. No, they actually do. Oh, okay. Yeah, every track meet I've been to, they've always been at the back. <laughs> yeah. So the first... I, I think the principle is that you need to have not only self-awareness, but team awareness yep. and teammate awareness and, the, and figure out how can I, yep. whatever decision you make, how can I position myself to pull them forward a little more than they would on their mm -hmm. own. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that means being back. Sometimes it means being the front. <laughs> another thing that put that putting, putting that team member out front, another thing that that does is it, it alleviates the, um, the stop and go. It allows the team to maintain a more constant forward motion pace, right? Mm -hmm. Because what'll end up happening if that team member that's hitting it's hitting their limit, if you leave them in the middle or the back, the front of the team, the the stronger members of the team are always going to pull ahead. They're going to drive ahead, right? And then they've got to stop. 
and they've got to wait for that other person or that other half of the team to catch up. And that stop-and-go pace is always slower than if you guys can move forward as a team maintaining constant forward motion. And if you have the team member in front that's moving the slowest, it's always going to alleviate that accordion effect. All right? That's true. And it Um, does change the dynamic when it's a two-person team versus like, you know, 10 or whatever. It does change that a little bit. Yeah. Because that's so many different individuals that have to move that 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 accordion becomes drastic. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the first things that you can do to increase the speed of your entire team. Now, I'm not just talking about basic horse teams. I'm talking about all teams. Um, The second thing that you can do is you can stop. Take a moment. Do an assessment with your team and figure out where everyone is, right? Figure out who is in this this panic mode. They're, they're, They're bumping up against their limit. They're just trying to... They're just trying to keep moving, but they don't have anything left to contribute, right? They're basically self-preservation. Um, figure out who is in the the zone where they're actually being challenged, experiencing growth, but they have extra. They have extra, right? They're in they're they're growing, but they have extra. And then figure out, I guarantee you, there's gonna be a few people in your team, if you sit down and do this exercise, that are way out here in the comfort zone. That are like, well, I'm not being challenged at all. Uh, I'm just kind of going through the motions here. I'm doing my job, but I'm, I'm not being challenged, right? And so what you want to try to do to maximize the potential of the entire team is you want to be able to utilize those team members that are in the comfort zone and also in the growth zone, you want to try to utilize the extra strength, the extra capacity that they have in order to move the team members that are in that panic zone out into the growth zone. So you have to redistribute the responsibility, redistribute the tasks, redistribute the weight, whatever that may be, and this applies to all teams, whatever that may be, once you redistribute that, and you have then everyone in the team operating in a growth zone, that is where you find the maximum potential of the team. That's an artwork. That's that's a that's a that's a skill to be able to do that though. And it takes you stopping and everybody that's part of the team giving an honest assessment of where they're at. Right? I mean, I could we could do this in our team. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have done this in in our team in business multiple times. You have to constantly do this. Um, And And sometimes pulling that person out of the panic zone into the growth zone isn't by coddling them and lightening their load necessarily. Sometimes if you're adept at um, kind of analyzing things, sometimes what they need is a push. You know, they, they actually, what they need to move them into the growth zone is for somebody to challenge them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So don't think of it as like, I need to make things easier for them. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes you need to take stuff out of their pack and make their load lighter. But sometimes it's not the relief that you might think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you, need to, you need to encourage them and challenge them a little more, which for somebody in the comfort zone might bring them out of their comfort zone because they're having to kind of... 
um, think outside of themselves and get outside of their own selfishness. And maybe that's why they're in the comfort zone is because they've been selfish. And so to bring them into the growth zone, it's taking them from selfishness to selflessness Mm -hmm. by having them focus on that other person. You're exactly right. So that's why I think it's partly, it's an art is because it's not this, you know, here are the steps. This is what you do in all situations. You have to read the people. Mm -hmm. You have to read your teammates and you have to figure out what do they actually need. I've seen team members in the panic zone that all they needed was some conversation. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's all they needed Mm -hmm. to get them out of that. Out of their heads. Yep. Yep. I'll tell you what doesn't work when you say, guys, we need to move faster or y'all need to move faster. And they say, all right, team. Let's move faster. Let's pick it up. I tell you that don't work. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Yeah. That. So that. But it's tried. It's mm-hmm. always tried. Well, I, I'm. I'm pretty sure that's probably uh, that probably happens in people's business. Mm-hmm. That probably happens in people's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that happens across the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what people think the answer is. Mm-hmm. And it ju- it literally just uh, well the entire team will eventually just explode mm-hmm. if you keep trying to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then you have a crisis. <laughs> the principles that come into play there too are being present and being deliberate because if you're not really present with yourself and your team, you're not you're going to lack self-awareness, you're going to lack team awareness because you're not present. You're just thinking about this kind of big picture thing like we need to move faster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you're really <clears throat> excuse me, if you're really present, you're aware of that person where they are, why they're where they are. And then being deliberate is saying things that are more specific, addressing things more specifically, not saying things like, let's move faster. You know, if you're deliberate, you're deliberate with your, your strategy, your choices, your words. And so I think that's just tightening all that up so that you can be Mm -hmm. more effective in that. Guess what the worst question you can ask your teammate (laughs) is, are you good? (laughs) Literally the worst. It's it's the number one question that people ask their teammates, and we've all done it, and we all still do it. Yeah, I still ask that question sometimes. You good? That, that that's actually telling your teammate that you're good, and you hope they're good because you're ready to move a little faster. Yeah, that's all you're doing. You're making it's, it's more of a statement than a question. Yeah. So goes back to what Krista just said. Um. Chili, dude, I'm sorry you were wrong. I'm sorry you were wrong about your strategy. I mean, I apologize for that. You being wrong, I'll take the hit for that. Um, and um, what? Well, what that was stupid? What? Uh, that was a stupid thing to say. I see how mad he is. <laughs> <laughs> and you I got, I got to spend the whole weekend with him. You, He's gonna be mad at me the whole weekend yep. now. You you think I get mad? I don't. That was just stupid. Well, uh, I would uh, to finish off this conversation. So the main takeaway I want you guys to get from this conversation is going into a challenge. It's not good enough to just complete the challenge, right? It's not good enough to just not fail. Go into the challenge and as quickly as you possibly can. Figure out what your limit's going to be as an individual. Back off just a hair from that. That's your maximum potential. If you're going into a challenge as a team, figure out how to distribute the responsibility, um, the load uh, amongst your team 
in order to have everyone operating as near to their maximum capacity as they possibly can. And that's going to move the team forward as quickly as possible. Clearly communicate. Yeah. Um, so that's the number one thing. I want you guys to do that exercise with your family. I want you to do it with your business. I want you to get an idea of where everyone's standing and then come up with a plan. If you need to redistribute, if you've got some people in your business that have too much on them and they're operating in that panic zone, figure out how to redistribute some of that stuff to people who are out in the comfort zone and aren't being challenged at all. Now, all team members have to be motivated and and bought into the mission for this to work. All right? So that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but... um. And then I wanted uh, Instructor Krista to talk about, to at least tell the listeners uh, what they can do if they get struck with a coughing fit. <laughs> like right now. <laughs> Son, she got a terrible one on the basic course. Man. But I figured out, remember, I'm allergic to you because it was when you were hiking in front of me. As well, soon as you moved, I stopped coughing. But at the tent, the freaking- but at the tent was the worst. <laughs> but he was still within, I guess you could say, it's all the dang allergic dust coming off his, his body beard. <laughs> Hun, she got the terriblest coffin fit setting that tent up almost well, and and i'm over there dying and you all are just <laughs> laughing at me i was barely laughing me. i mean i could hardly catch my breath i was laughing so hard <laughs> I, I almost hit her with the epi pen <laughs> i thought she's going to hit her with a needle d <laughs> you've been dying to do that <laughs> oh man mm. well all right guys well What's up, Chili? I do have one more thing. I yeah. promised Jeff Forrester I would give him the latest Space Force developments. What you got? Black holes don't exist. For real? Enough said. Well, you know, I had the conversation with uh, my buddy Jesse Itzler the other night. We were watching the lunar eclipse. Did any of y'all watch that? Mm-mm. It I was nobody. Oh, man, it was legit. Mm. Full total lunar eclipse. With a blood moon. Now, if you knew what I knew about that, you wouldn't watch it either. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I talked to, I, I questioned Jesse. I said, Jesse, do you really think people have been to the moon? And he got to thinking about it. And he said, after about two hours, he sent me a text and he said, I'm convinced now that the moon doesn't even exist. <laughs> uh-huh. He must have talked to Chili. Did you, did you share some intel? No, I would talk I, if he if he wanted anything. I would tell him. I'd talk to him about it. But um, black holes don't exist. That's all I'll say right now. That's all I had. I don't want to comment on anything further. But I'm not kidding. Black holes don't exist. They're not. They they're not real. I ain't never seen one. Well, they they do not exist I, in the universe. I've never seen one, so I believe I, I'm it. being 100 percent serious. People always say they can't tell if me and you are being serious or not. <clears throat> Have you seen all those comments on YouTube? Mm-mm. I don't know. I'm always serious, so I don't know what you're talking about. I'm glad you put that out, Chili. I'm sure that's been weighing on a lot of people's minds. <laughs> Is that why you was making all them crazy faces a minute ago? What are you talking about? During the pod, was you thinking about black holes? I didn't know I was making... He just checked out of this conversation. Yeah, he he well, just checked out on us. Well, he hit his limit. Oh, that's true. He hit his podcast limit. Okay. So we, that's why we had to carry the weight of the conversation and allow Chili to rest so he can endure the remainder of this show. 
That is true. Proud well, of you, Chili. You know, this is not only the premier training podcast, but it's also the premier astronomy podcast. Right? Mm. I think that's what Chili is trying oh, yeah. to bring to this. Yeah, we cover all the bases here at 307 Podcast. Seriously, look into it. We don't have to. You just told us. Yeah, but don't just take my word for it. Black holes don't exist. I'm taking your word for it. I think it's time to shut her on down. I'm too too focused on figuring out which gun I need to buy next. What about a black hole? Jesse don't think the moon exists? He said he's convinced himself it doesn't even exist anymore. We'll talk about that later. All right. All right, guys. Well, we love you. We'll talk to you next week. Enough said.